Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Hey everyone, this is Patrick. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. My guest is Anthem Blanchard. He is the the CEO of AnthemVault.com as well as AnthemGold.com. And Anthem has a long family history of being in the financial services space, specifically around the asset that has proven itself worthy throughout history, gold. His father, Jim Blanchard, really was the primary influence and lobbyist to legalize the ownership of physical gold, which those of you who understand and know history was made illegal during the Great Depression. I think it was 1933. And in 1974, Anthem's father put lots of pressure, and he did on previous uh, presidencies as well, uh, but they finally legalized gold. And then Anthem has continued the legacy of his father. And Anthem Gold is a traditional gold and silver broker with vaults around the world. And uh, you can, you know, they have lots of inventory right now where most don't have any inventory. But also he has taking it a step further, anthemgold.com incorporates the idea of blockchain and cryptocurrency. And it is, uh, I believe, the first cryptocurrency that is backed with a hard asset, which is, which is gold. You're going to get a kick out of this webinar. He's, he's a really genuine guy and really intelligent when it comes to money and uh, is, like I said, carrying on that family legacy and doing some amazing things. Check out the show notes. We talk about a lot of books and other things uh, we reference, you know, a few a few different uh, areas where Anthem has been inspired and where he goes to find opportunity. So, uh, so go check out the show notes on thewellstandard.com. Also, we have a new YouTube channel. As I've mentioned in the last couple of episodes, it's youtube.com forward slash thewellstandard. We switched over from another YouTube channel. So go check that out. Guys, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're taking advantage of this very tumultuous time where it may seem like opportunities aren't there. And I realize how difficult it is kind of looking around and, and trying to find the good in what's going on, but there's a lot of it. And so I uh, hope you guys are capitalizing on opportunities and seeing you know, how things are going to evolve and improve and how we're all going to grow from this set of difficult circumstances. But thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the support. Hope you guys learned something from this podcast. And I'll go ahead and cut to that and we'll see you next time. Anthony, it's awesome to have you on, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you for what you do. I'm excited to get your perspective about you know what's going on. I think we're in really interesting times, and you have such an incredible background 
and bring a perspective that most don't have. So first, like as you sit back and just paying attention to what's going on, like how do you characterize what's going on in society, in markets? Like how do you describe it? I think what we're seeing is a great shift in value and understanding value and how we value services, goods, people, you know, different other things, health. You know, I, I think it's it's causing a big inflection, right? Because when you don't have things, all of a sudden it causes you to really think like, do I miss these things? Like, do I really want these things? Like, what was I doing these things? I mean, it's it's kind of perverse in a way. And I mean, I hate to even talk like that because this is such a crazy, hysterical time for you know a number of reasons. But in any event, I, I think that there are a lot of good positives that are coming out of this. And I think you have to just stay positive. Otherwise, you know, I think then you, you fall into the doom trap and that's just a, a death spiral. So, well, it's interesting, you know, my, because my, my kid, you know, my kids are home and they were, they were asking me questions about the music like we used to listen to when we were kids. And I remembered my brothers and I, and my mom liked Chicago, the band Chicago. And it's their, one of their whole, it's their song about you don't know. You know, you don't know the value of something until it's gone, right? Or you, until you can't do something. So you're totally right. It's like, you know, being healthy, right? Or also just not being able to travel and having to be confined, you know, to close quarters, right? You start to value friendships, value freedom, right? Value commerce, right? Value employment. You're totally right. And, you know, as I think you get into the markets, that's kind of added a layer, right? Because you had obviously the, the hysteria of the coronavirus. Now you have the hysteria of the markets. So when you have those two things happening, and obviously here in Utah, you have the hysteria of earthquakes, right? So it's like, you know, kind of th- three waves. As you specifically look at, look at markets, are you surprised by how they're acting? Like what's going on in markets? And then maybe speak to the, to the bailout that is you know, about to be passed and what you feel that's going to do. Well, I, I mean, I think anyone that would say that they weren't surprised by what happened, I mean... There was an emergency Fed rate cut for 12 years and then two happened in like three days. So that was definitely a shocker. I mean, I just, you know, the unemployment numbers, I mean, it looks like there's a chart error, right? Because the chart's now so high with the number that they just put out. All those things being said, you and I being in the United States, I think we should feel extremely grateful because of all of the hundred plus jurisdiction countries that we could be living in. Probably the U.S. will be the best off because it has the world's reserve currency. Whether anyone else in the world likes it or not, the system is what it is, and it's a dollar system. So, you know, I think it'll fade into the sunset. I I don't expect it to pull a Titanic. You know, I I think we need it right now, and we'll need it until we don't need it. So, so how would you explain to someone that doesn't necessarily understand why markets would need rates to go down, right, or why the Fed stepped in? And did kind of this uh, mass disruption to to create liquidity? Like, why did that have to to happen? Well, I, I think it relates a lot to the genius that you teach and that you help provide people with, and infinite banking and, and different products that provide leverage. Because essentially, that's a microcosm of how the entire system works, and that's why it's such an effective strategy. So, literally, you know, we probably are sitting on four or five plus quadrillion of US dollar denominated, they call interest rate swaps. And these are very, very sophisticated credit instruments that the very largest banks and central banks deal in. And when you look at these numbers, we were just talking a little bit, $100,000 per person in the US would increase 
the debt 33 trillion, which is gargantuan by GDP, it eclipses GDP by it, by, but in essence, that still would only be less than a hundredth, it looks like, of total US dollar derivatives. So there's a massive deleveraging that's happening at the same time. There's also re-leveraging happening by the Federal Reserve because they just agreed that the US Treasury, part of the bailout, to bail out the Fed at least half a trillion dollars, 500 billion, um, just for whatever. So you see basically an attempt now on the government side. That's why you're seeing this fiscal policy pushed by both Trump and Bernie Sanders and everyone in between of having to basically put dollars out there. I mean, I actually had an old friend of mine, Mike Maloney, tell me about 15 years ago that he expected one day to see lifetime tax refunds. And I thought that was kind of curious, but in a way I was like, you know, you might be right. And actually, I think now it's more evident than ever of his theory probably being proven true there. So um, I think that's the path because the system needs it for its existence. It, it needs to be reinflated with value from as base a level as possible, basically. What happens if it doesn't get it? Then we're going to see massive credit contraction, right? So I, I just think in this day and age, because of what happened 12 years ago, the Federal Reserve spent so much time. I mean, we experienced the longest bull run in securities markets history. And so I think the Fed, Ben Bernanke, Janet Yellen, the whole regime basically spent so much time putting in all these backstop mechanisms to be able to show signs of strain that now, literally with the push of a button, and like Kashkari came out and said it recently, one of the heads, and basically they can just push a button, right? And they can print more. So they can buy whatever they want. It's really just what discrepancy of what they're willing to buy. That's really what it comes down to and how much. So why is so we I know why that's a good thing, right? If you have if you have so much, you know, debt out there and you have businesses using debt to grow, people are using debt to go to college, buy a house, buy cars. Yeah, I can see why it's a a good thing, right? Where you have Fed stepping in and ensuring that that continues to happen. But why is it a bad thing? Why is it bad that that continues to happen? Because we all we always hear the positive. Okay, what's the downside, right? You know, how are we ultimately going to be even more negatively affected? <laughs> well, you're right because the downside is is that the reality is ninety five percent of the value will probably go to you know less than five percent of the people, and so the reality is most of us will get hurt more because. Our goods and services, like what we buy and sell every day relative to what we make every day, will become harder. It will become more costly, more expensive for us to live, most of us. Of course, then you read about you know billionaire art collections of CEOs and public companies and that were bailed out. And you can start seeing where a lot of this value goes, right? Like Art Basel, people buying bananas that are rotting just to take the deduction. It's a simple deduction, right? So, because then you get the appraiser to appraise the banana that you just bought for whatever, 200 grand. And it was a great meme about this. Explained it great in like about three sentences. And then you just, you know, take that appraisal thing and you donate it and then you get the deduction and then you get, you know, the huge write off from all the stock that you just sold that you just pumped up and all the buybacks that you just had from the zero interest rate policy or even before we went zero still rates were ridiculously low. If you were a big company, you could access them. If you were anyone else, you couldn't. So, you know, unless you're really smart, you know, and that's, I think, again, like having products like yours 
you know, trying to find retail investors, the best way to get yield and leverage is, is really a, a big, a big part of the game. So what do you feel is the end game, right? Because this is a lot of these activities, what's going on can't happen forever. And plus you have a very globally connected world these days where, you know, when we do something in the United States, right? Because of, of how we exchange globally, there's an impact across the board. As we're putting trillions and trillions of dollars, $2 trillion into the economy. And what's amazing, again, it's, it's, I feel like the wool is being pulled over people's eyes, right? Because there's this guise of, hey, you're going to get a thousand bucks. You're going to get, you know, $500 per child. You're going to get this money, but that's a small portion of the bailout, right? It's more than double that as far as other money that's going to be created and go to certain places, right? And as you're talking about corporations that are that have their hand out for, for stimulus, whether it's you know Boeing, it's literally every industry, right? Everyone has their hand out, right? Mm-hmm. And why is that a bad thing? Why is it a bad thing that companies have to get to that point in order to continue their operations? Well, yeah, and, and it's a scalability story. I think that's really what you're alluding to, and I think that's what this whole problem is showing and exposing is that we've reached the limits of the scalability of the current economic system that we've had for thousands of years. And that's been a hierarchical, centralized, money-based, bank-based system, lending and fractional reserves, ultimately to make up for the fact that none of us can trust any of us 100% because it's impossible for any of us to prove 100% anything that we've done in the past, 100%. So because there's always doubt, it causes fear and collusion to be necessitated. And like, who do we study in history? People that kill the most people. Who are the people that get the wealthiest in history? The people that kill the most people, right? Like, are these things coincidences? No, they're all a fact of like, we have what I call forced commerce or forced marketplace. We've had to necessitate rules of force and prizal and punishment in order to try to enable trade and basically world that we lack trust. And so I think what's happening now is that people are starting to really appreciate this point because for every $100 of debt that the government and the Fed and whoever central bank around the world or government might add, at this point, they might only be getting like 50 cents of new economic growth or 10 cents of new economic growth. So like it's diminishing returns, right? All of a sudden, We've never had negative interest rates for this long of a period for this many debt instruments ever for thousands of years of reporting. In history, yeah. Right, right. I mean, it completely defies... I was a finance accounting major at Emory, BBA. I mean, it defies the whole concepts of risk-free rate, right? Once the treasury goes negative, which I expect it will happen, you know, eventually, probably in the next 12 months, you know, it basically defies all finance axioms. I mean, that is the axiom of finance. So, so you're taught in every first finance class, the, the treasury is the risk-free rate. And that's like one of the basis is that you basically apply everything else in finance on. So, you know, I look at it like we're moving to barter. And again, that sounds crazy, but it, it's moving away from this idea of violent currency that has to be defined by people, government, central banks, some third-party conduit of value. That basically to an idea of, you know, you want a good, here's a key for it. You want a service, here's a key for it. You know, 
you want to get that key or get good or you know, service, you just get that key, you trade all the headaches of all your accounting, your bookkeeper, your auditor, your reconciler messing up, your inputter messing up, all these traditional business headaches that you and I deal with every day. This is going to be eliminated with the commercialization of Bitcoin. I think, I think Bitcoin being the first trusted historical record that man has ever created and now being the strongest historical record that man has ever created has now led the path to create all these other communities is really what these blockchains are. They're really communities, they're protocols technically, but they're really communities of people that believe in the value of the service or good provided so much that they're willing to contribute basically to the proliferation of this good or service. And this is the era I think we're going to see. It's going to be cooperation, voluntary based instead of, you know, this kind of idea of like, you know, you're forced to inscript in the government's draft or this or that, you know, it's forced, you know, volunteerism isn't really voluntarism. So I think we're going to be in a much better place. I just hope we get through this time quickly and peacefully as possible. So that's my that's my greatest hope right now. <laughs> and I, you know, and before we start recording, I asked you, you know, some questions along these lines, but what has to happen in order for a new system to take place? Because I, I look at you know what what the Fed has to lose, what corporations have to lose by the system that we're in right now. And also when there is disruption right these days among people, right? The emotions spread really quickly. I mean, just look at the toilet paper idea, right? Where like, I get it. I know why a person would respond the way that they responded. It's very irrational, but we all do that. We're all human beings and are susceptible to that. And I look at when somebody is in that fear and uncertainty mode, is that the time when somebody looks to a different system or are they looking to the same system? Right for help and guidance, which obviously is happening right now. So, what do you feel has to happen in order for us to go to maybe a new a new monetary system? Now that that's kind of a loaded question. I love that question because I actually I think it's both depending on the personality type, and like you can look at it by the numbers. I mean, even a Doom website like Zero Hedge today was showing that the U.S. savings rate is about like eight and a half percent. I mean, I remember reading articles like 15 years ago, it was like zero or negative or negative. something. Negative. Yeah, it used to be negative. <laughs> that, that to me is a great, you know, of this, you know, devastated nuclear looking landscape that we're looking at right now, right? With stocks and monetary policy and all this. Like actually to look at something encouraging to me is that people are thinking about saving. So that shows to me that people are thinking in that kind of behavior now, like I think the fear part of it now is starting to make people think about well, the way that I do things, how secure really is it? I mean, one of the areas that we specialize in is ransomware, and I would argue the biggest underreported story of last year and this year is the number of infections of ransomware it about tripled last year, year over year, and two thirds of those were government hits. And the vast majority of them went unreported. Like I know of one case in Los Angeles in particular, never heard the story. The city of Torrance got hit three weeks ago. Another city that's very important, arguably the most important to a certain industry that's arguably the most important to the country, got hit twice last year, didn't report it. So seven and a half billion of reported losses last year, two-thirds of them government. We basically Bitcoin ends up solving this issue because of the way 
that it distributes the data and rather than centralizing the data, which is like what we have today. Like everything is today centralized, whether it's like Doom or Google or Amazon or any of these services, there's a central company and they might have decentralized depots and servers, but end of the day, you still have to rest your information on basically like one instance and then you're on there basically one gigantic instance, right? The way that these, what they call public protocols is kind of the tricky term, but blockchain, right, work is that there's information kind of all over the place. It's kind of like having an Easter egg hunt, right? Like hiding a bunch of value all over your property instead of in one place with the additional benefit that every, that they have to get every little piece of the code basically put them together to basically have the whole thing be a value to them. So basically this type of architecture is like hundred times plus more secure. In what exists today, but like there's been a lack of recognition. Why? Because even a city of like under a hundred thousand probably has you know over a hundred million dollar budget if it's somewhere between fifty and a hundred thousand people in this country. So we're just so used to throwing money at things, more municipal bonds, more bonds, more money, more money, more money. Into so, the same areas, into the same location, same areas, same things. Exactly. So it takes times of stress to really point out where the brakes are. I mean, like we're used to doing this in business all the time long, especially in software. They literally call it stress testing of the yeah. software where you literally do all kinds of crazy things to it, you know, in preparation of like what happens in these what if scenarios, right? And I think we're experiencing one of these macro what if scenarios for society right now. And it's causing us to have a lot of inflection, whether we like it or not, whether we think it's conspiracy or not, whether we think it's behind it or nature or not, whatever it is, irrespective, doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's I think awesome. disruption this to me disruption's good. And I think you're you know you're hitting on something that I that I hadn't hadn't thought about. I want to try to art, articulate it so that the the audience can can understand. You know, so the ransomware idea, for those that don't know what that is, I mean I we got hit a year and a half ago and thankfully like we caught it within a day. We had cybersecurity insurance. And we were able to shut everything down, do new, you know, authentication, and it would have cost us three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars, right? But we were able to do it for just our our deductible, which is like seventy five hundred bucks or something like that. I think our premium went pretty high for this uh, this last insurance, but our systems now are really amazing. But my brother, you know, he is uh, second in to the the chief legal counsel for a really big uh, hospital network in Colorado. They got hit. They had their information taken. They weren't able to catch it. And they had to pay, I think, like two or three million bucks in, in Bitcoin. Exactly. I didn't even know what Bitcoin. My brother's like, I, I didn't even know. No one even really knew how to get Bitcoin, right? So, so it's one of those amazing things where it's like that. Ha- it's, it's happening everywhere, right? Yeah. And what it's doing is it's causing people to realize, wow, like our systems are vulnerable. We need a new system, but it hasn't gotten to the money thing yet, right? And that's what you're more referring to. It's gone to compromised systems, right? Being able to create stability to create security there. But when it comes to you know how you do transactions with other people, right? That's what you're referring to, right? It's kind of like that second level. A little of both. So, like for okay. example, like you know, we're talking with different officials in different states, like Louisiana or Texas, right? And it's like you know, Louisiana has been under a state of digital emergencies in August of last year. They opened up a cybersecurity fund. Like you're talking, uh, convention centers, state DMVs the property assessors and cities getting hit, like New Orleans is already over $20 million of losses and counting. Baltimore is over $30 million because they refuse to pay. The only way that you can get this data is to pay. 
they've literally been like hitting their heads against the titanium wall. So basically we were in the gold business originally, you know, online gold dealer. And we started building like a gold Bitcoin effectively like seven years ago. And part of the obstacle that we stumbled on was how do we secure the stuff in the ball? How do people know it's real? And we ended up building inventory software called Hercules that we then realized we can apply this to anything. We anchored the information into Bitcoin effectively. And by doing that, it basically provides any of that data with 100% assurance that no one tampered with it. That date timestamp, that information got saved, that nobody could have gone back and changed anything. That's part of what these viruses take advantage of because all it takes is one email, one bad attachment, one bad link, one and web- they're in. And that's it, right? Yep. Like someone's downloading, you know, whatever Ariana Grande bootleg RAR file on a win, you know, that hasn't been updated and all of a sudden, boom, you know, the whole Windows environment and the whole organization is corrupted now, right? And it's under ransom. So they hit the application. Now, I, want to, I want to make sure we hit the ransom piece, right? Because right. the ransom piece is they'll get into your systems. They'll take your data, people's names or phone numbers, addresses, social security number, medical records, whatever they have, right? They'll take it, right? And, they'll, and, they, and they may even lock you out of it. Right? They've done that in some instances. But even if they take the data, then they'll say, listen, I have all this data. Here's proof, right? It's going to go on the internet, right? The dark, the dark web or go to whatever, you know, open areas unless you pay this. Right. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that people realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and sometimes with states, it's even like they'll paralyze the ac- actual mechanism. That yeah. like, <laughs> 22 states was massive. NPR, Wall Street Journal did actually cover this one. But it was more like how Lubbock staved off the infection because they were like you. You ended up catching it really early, unplugged it, and it didn't get, you know, someone didn't click anything probably to have it go to the network. So that's good. And Lubbock did that, but guess what? Like probably the other 21 cities. So they probably got hit with a three and a half million bounty that they probably paid because the story died after that. So that's what happened. So imagine if you could provide someone with an application and basically like a Dropbox on the data side that's like totally hardened, like ransomware, totally resistant from these like email spam attack vectors. That's basically what now we're doing. So like we're trying to, all of a sudden it's like people are paying attention not because they were paying attention before with the ransomware so much, but now because like the coronavirus, it's a psychological thing. It's like causing people to stop and think like more deeply a little bit about things. We're creatures of habit, right? So the majority of what we do is unconscious and we've been used to doing it. And you don't really adopt new behaviors, right? Unless there's some disruption that causes you to realize, wow, I keep doing that. That's not good for me. So I, I need to figure out something else to do. Let me gravitate toward what I'm kind of being coming aware of just talking to you. Because as I look at the question I asked before, which was, is it going to take a collapse or more disruption for people to you know, adopt a new system? And as I've, I've thought about it, what has been really inspiring to me over the last couple of weeks with this whole pandemic is how much humanity has rised to the occasion. Yeah. And it's amazing. And we're looking to government, right, for all the solutions. But at the same time, I look at all the you know, amazing technology, whether it's the 3D printing of, of masks uh, or whether it's you know, factories figuring out how to do ventilators, right? Or the guy that invented a ventilator that you could 3D print but is getting sued because of intellectual property stuff, right? So it's one of those things where like Peter Diamandis, I'm not sure if you know who he is. Yeah. He's in your neck of the woods. I got to meet Peter really luck- luckily uh, at a dinner. So... 
I've met him a couple times, heard him speak a couple times, and and you know he has such an amazing perspective of the world. And it helped me back in you know 2000, I think nine or ten when he came out with uh, his book Abundance. But looking at what the X Prize does, just simply being able to say, okay, for those, you know, here's a ten million dollar X Prize. If you guys figure out how to solve this problem, okay, the prize is yours, right? And you, they, they currently have a hundred million dollar X Prize. Right to essentially have sustain solve or cure hunger, sustain sustainably feed a billion people, right? Sustainably, a plan to do that. I think sustainably is defined by like you know less than a couple bucks a day. So it's one of those things where you have humanity that is so intelligent, so connected, but yet government is you know government is still there because we're used to having them there. So perhaps like your theory, I like your theory, which is you know you potentially have. Ways in which people get used to using blockchain, right, for different protection measures and transaction measures. Okay. Then you have humanity coming up with solutions, whether it's computing, whether it's, uh, you know, industrial, I think supply chain. I mean, the global supply chain is like totally jacked and people don't even know it yet, but it's like the solutions to replace what we used to rely on China for. Like, I think a lot of, I think humanity is going to be able to solve those problems and ultimately create a system of exchange similar to your barter com- uh, comment that will replace the necessity of you know a medium exchange being the, the dollar right yeah. being currency i think that's really really well said and we're seeing it happen again like we're i mean now we can have three over three ounces of hand sanitizer quote unquote on an airplane right like that just got abolished i mean there's all these petty crime you know things that are getting abolished or like why were we even doing these things in the first place right there's all these things that all of a sudden over like giving, you know, lifting limits on FDA. I mean, the latest thing I've heard, which would be actually, I think, like X Prize Infinity, is to just up the crowdfunding limits and make there be no requirement. I saw that they, there's talks about maybe upping it to five million and to eliminate, you know, the income requirements. I mean, that would be like everybody creates an X Prize to five million, basically, if that's where they cap it, you know. So that's at least it, things are pushing in the right direction. You know, I think it's just where you're looking, right? I mean, if you want to look behind you or in front of you, you know what I mean? So uh, this is a question I wanted to reserve to the end, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask it now because right now, you know, place where people get their news, right? Get their information, right? Are companies that are very tight, whether it's with the corporate world and needing to have markets to operate as well as contracts with government and, where do you find your information? Where do you go to get information that is as pure as possible, right? And pure, I mean, I don't think there's anything... We're all humans, right? We're all susceptible to errors. So you're never going to have 100%. But where do you go to get you know, the information that you usually do not get from standard media? So I would say you know, the best place is communities that you already have, you know, social media communities, you know, chat group communities, WhatsApp, Telegram, whatever you use, whatever you like. I think those are great places because you're going to get all these news stories in there and you're going to get dialogue from people that you respect in some way. You know, okay, or if you're a loner and you don't have any friends, then just go to any website to start Googling in points of interest, go to website and start commenting on, you know, comment groups and see where that leads and, you know, find a community there. I think those are the kind of places, interactive forums of information are critical in this day and age because it's been the one-way channels of communication that really have done a lot of devastation and 
manipulation. And I think that that's what we're really receding from. And, and that's what this era represents of hyper peer to peer social interaction, you know, peer, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, right? Twitter. I mean, our president. How do you disseminate? How do you disseminate? Like, what is opinion and emotionally driven information and information that's valid? And that might be valid, right? But it may not be. Or, or information that sounds, you know, it sounds like it could be. You know, my my wife you know, the other day, she's like, I was I was talking to her. She's still freaked out because of these earthquakes. So we we talk a couple times a day now. She's like, hey, did you hear that? You know, Putin put you know, 800 lions in the street in Moscow. And I'm like, no way in hell did he do that. Again, it's like the fake news. So yeah, it's one of those examples, right? Like, how do you disseminate what is true and what's not? You need to talk, you know, find an intimate group that you respect like that. Hey, you know, maybe it's your spouse, you know, maybe it's your, you know, brother, sister, parents, you know, grandparents, friends, uncles, aunts, whoever it is, cousins, you know, Blood brother, blood sister, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, you know, look up, you know, in, in the most unintimidating way, I think is just meet up, you know, Google meet up something you're interested in. And then take a look if you're in like, even like a decent sized city, there's probably a group if there isn't create one, no one comes to that first one, make it a little more general, you know, or change the topic and see, right? I mean, that's, stay curious. I think the best suggestion ever is stay curious. If you stay curious, you're going to keep poking. And if you can figure out who benefits, you know, who benefits? How is someone benefiting from collusion and oligopoly and corruption? Because these are the ways that people become wealthy and our system that's existed for thousands of years and we live in today, we're migrating to this new way, but no one uses Bitcoin or Ethereum or IPFS or Tardigrade or Hercules or any of these blockchain softwares yet in their businesses or in their governments. We're out there to change that, right? The idea is like better, faster, more efficient, hundred times more secure to bring about better accountability, better commerce, more peaceful world, right? There's, and there's less arguments about discrepancies of things like numbers that are really critical in anything business, right? That all of a sudden, then all the conflict resolves down. I mean, we just crazy tiger bait Netflix thing. I don't know if you've seen it, right? It's this. Uh, I've heard about it. Yeah. It's, a, it's incredible, by the way. I think everyone should watch it because it's incredible entertainment. And there's a lot of life lessons in this too. Incredible amount of life. And I think that that's, you know, one of the big life, life lessons is how something that was basically two people feuding over baby cats, they basically went to like someone getting threatened for the other person murdering them and you know, all these lives being disrupted, all these animals being killed, you know, these facilities being burned, you know, not to screw up the plot, sorry, to plot spoiler, but, you know, but, but trust me, it's way more interesting than that because it's the human personalities that really drive the show and to really, you know, see ego, right? And money and fame, right? And sex and, you know, drugs and all these things that, you know, we're all susceptible to and we've all done. I think that like, this has been an interesting time for all of us, kind of like some things that maybe we have different access to or not the same access to, it kind of causes us to pause a little bit, right? It's like, it just, it's a hiccup in the schedule on everything and it's kind of causing us to... But you hit on, some, you hit on something and this is something that I, I feel these, these days, it is easier to find what that something is more objectively and that's 
incentive, right? I think everybody has an incentive to behave and act, right? And when whether it's a two trillion dollar bailout, right, or whether it's a business, or whether it's you know somebody writing a book, right? Everybody has an incentive there, and it's not a bad thing. We're all driven to do that. We're married because we have self interest, right, of wanting something for ourselves. And what's interesting is you kind of have to be the opposite in order to get that. That's a whole other discussion, right? But the the idea is that you know knowing what a person is driven, incentivized uh, by is vital. Knowing the intention, uh, because you go behind the scenes. Why does Boeing really need the money, and where is it going? You know, why does this paper company or this you know this railway or you know the the NPR? Why do they need all of this money, right? What's the incentive there? And follow the money. You're going to be able to determine, I would say, the true story, or at least as, you know, closer to it. You know, I would say literature that has inspired you, or movies that have inspired you, or people that have inspired you. Like, what would you say are like your top three or four that you would that you have learned principles, you have learned truths, you have learned things that enable you to discern information and kind of weigh them against what you've learned. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm named after a book, Anthem. So I have to say that's an influential one by Ayn Rand. I'm named after an author, my middle name, Hayek. So wrote Serfdom, famous economist that my dad interviewed 35 years ago. It's on YouTube. It's really cool. Oh, really? Okay. really predicts Bitcoin in the interview because he says the only way no to way. nationalization of money is through some sly mechanism. And they also start talking about using metal tokens effectively, which is basically what we're doing now. It's really freaky, and you'll see the comments on YouTube alluding to like Bitcoin and Hayek. It's on libertarianism.org's YouTube channel. I think it's your podcast, but that's a good one because it got some good comments on there. So those are good ones. Um, you know, Ed Griffin's book, Creature from Jekyll Island, you know, helped organize the first Red Pill with him and the team. So you know, that's a great one. Ostiats, The Law is a classic, very short book, kind of like Anthem, very short book, like very powerful. Messaging. I mean, I think in terms of movies, of course, Matrix trilogy, I think Star Wars trilogy, you know, any kind of, I think, episodic, I mean, even Marvel, right? And anywhere where you can kind of see a storyline transition, I think, and it's such a long storyline that it transitions between eras. So you can kind of juxtapose what's happening with the change in the film's narrative with what's happening in the narrative of society, right? It kind of, Sometimes it helps you like look at things differently. It's like why travel is nice, right? Like you go to a different place and you still eat, sleep, drink, and do all the same things, but we do it in a different place, like in a different way, yeah, right? Like different things dawn on us, right? You know, so that's why I think film, you know, music even can help trigger, you know, and I think a lot of these docu series on Netflix or Amazon are great because it really opens up some light and some darkness, you know, that we all have that's kind of like, wow, it's like we see you see it in extremes, sometimes gross extremes, you know, but, you know, but you need extremes, you need both sides. You do, you do. do. And that's freedom, right? I mean, that's the freedom to choose and the freedom to figure out, right? Because it's like, we've all seen it, people that are given everything. I mean, look at Harry, best example of the Royals, right? I mean, here's a I mean, that's like the best example of someone who's been given everything by just their DNA, right? And yeah, doesn't want it, right? I mean, he does. doesn't want it. Right? But he doesn't he wants freedom. He wants freedom, right? He wants his own identity, right? That is more important than money. And that's when you start really thinking about what is money? 
Like it really is violent currency because like why do we have this weird relationship with it? Yep. Like you know, it's a very weird thing. Let's end with you talking a little bit about your about your business, which is which is fascinating. Obviously, the story of your father. I mean, during the Great Depression, gold was was made illegal to own personally. Uh, you had to give it, you know, give whatever you had. And your dad, I think, in like the mid seventies, mid or early seventies, he made for or influenced uh, the powers that be to actually legalize the ownership uh, again. And you've kind of continued that. So maybe talk about you know Anthem Vault, uh, Anthem Gold, and the mission you guys have. Because I remember hearing about you know we talked years ago about uh, your about Anthem Gold, and I was fascinated by it. And it's awesome that you have figured out uh, derivative businesses, right? How the infrastructure would actually support other types of it's fascinating. But why don't you give you know listeners, the audience, kind of a uh, an idea of you know what your business mission is, what you're doing, and how they can learn more. Yes, I will. And one last book recommendation: my dad's autobiography, Confessions of a Gold Bug. So that's a fun read too. So you know, we'll put all yeah, we'll put all of them, including the the YouTube interview on uh, on the show notes. If you guys want to check those, it's a really cool one. And the transcripts on Cato's Institute's website. He was a board member there for 15 years. That's so, right. That's right. Us basically, you know, we started as an online metal dealer. We still maintain all the brands. Anthem Vault is a way that you can own gold and silver bullion. We're open now. We have availability now. We have access to availability. Lloyd's insured. You can buy, sell from your bank account in the US. We also have a gold token product that's kind of interesting named Anthem Gold. It's available to residents in Texas, Wyoming. In Montana right now, and in 170 plus other countries. So that just shows you how many regulatory tapes there are in the US. You have to get licensing in the rest of the states. And for those looking for dropship metal right now, because I know a lot of people are having a hard time, we have our Oklahoma-based dropship dealer, Amagi Metals, A-M-A-G-I Metals, a little funny, a Magi. Um, it's kind of famous in the Bitcoin world because it was the oldest precious metal dealer to accept Bitcoin. And the founder of Ethereum, which has been the second most popular blockchain after Bitcoin, wrote an article about a shop that we bought five years ago and interviewed the founder uh, at the time. So we do have metal. I know we've got Valcambi, Eagles, uh, and Perth right now. You know, we can get gold, we can get silver, we can get metal too. So if you're interested there, you know, please contact us. Uh, we've got great support. And yeah, you know, we're really there to help people. We really kind of migrated to an enterprise business. We have Perkabees that I mentioned, which is the enterprise software that we built. And then we have a development company named Hera Software Development. And so this is a little bit like Hera is like our Red Hat IBM. And Hercules is a little bit like our LAMP uh, Linux stack. Basically, what that is, is like open source software, basically to enterprises. All of that's the same. What makes us a little bit different is that we use these blockchain software and that basically makes us uh, resistant to ransomware, which is, like you mentioned, something that is the real plague that so far no cure like chloroquine or ZPAC or vaccine or anything is, is, has been created yet. So, Well, Anthem, it's awesome to have you on, man. This has been fascinating. I think we should do another one this season just talking about Anthem Gold and Anthem Vault. Let's wait to see how some of this stuff plays out because I believe that you know there's there's something about gold that... I believe is understood by those that have been around a long time. I think the younger generation will start to understand it better and gravitate toward it. It's always it always happens generation after generation after generation. 
and the way in which you've been able to modernize modernize ownership is uh, is pretty fascinating. So let's do another one in a couple of weeks. Are you down for that? Yeah, I'm totally down for that. We're quarantine, man. Well, you at least you are. We're not yet. An honor. No, you're <laughs> you're incredible. I have like great admiration for what you build and what you do. I mean, it's it's really impressive because it's, it takes a lot of math understanding to really be able to simplify what you have and productize. So, you know, kudos to you. And yeah, anytime you want me on, you, uh, just let me know. So happy to try. Okay, everyone. Thank you guys uh, so much for listening. Anthem, you're, you're amazing, man. Thank you. Uh, we'll put all the links that we discussed, Anthem's businesses, uh, as well as his book recommendations, uh, the YouTube interview between uh, his dad and Frida Kayak. Man, it's awesome to have you on. I'm inspired. I'm inspired. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.